Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're going to be starting with a spoiler-free review of the highly anticipated new film from Jordan Peele, Us. And then later, we're going to move into a spoiler-filled discussion and analysis segment. And joining us for the review is Laron Chapman. Laron, welcome back. Hey, always good to be back. Uh, so, of course, we're joined uh, across the table from me by Christopher Schultz. Christopher, welcome. Thank you. Good to be back. And, of course, joining us again, this is what, two, three months in a row? Daniel Bokemper. Probably something like that. No you're introduction, it? I like. Well, I mean, you're the associate editor here at the Cinematropolis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> She's tough critics today. Uh, we're... Uh, very excited to be talking about the, I think one that I would say probably the most anticipated horror movie of at least this year, uh, Us, everyone I think saw Get Out, Jordan Peele's first film, and uh, it wasn't quite a horror movie, but I think everyone's been really anxious to see what he was going to do following the critical acclaim he received from that film. So yeah, it's going to be a fun talk. Now, before we jump into our review... Uh, I want to remind uh, our listeners out there that you can keep up with all of our work here at The Cinematropolis at thecinematropolis.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Cinematrop and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. Christopher Schultz, you actually wrote a review and analysis for us this week that went up earlier last week. And uh, I highly encourage listeners to check that out. I think we're going to touch on some of the ideas you wrote into the review today, but it's a great read. Great. Re- reading is good. Reading is good. Audio is great. It's I want you to listen. It is mm-hmm. fundamental mm-hmm. and fun. <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right into our review of us. Can't believe how big they've got. You hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scare of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Uh, so the synopsis reads, a family's serenity turns to chaos when a group of doppelgangers begins to terrorize them. Pretty vague. Think pretty accurate. Basically, what they kind of the, the premise of the film that they spoil in the trailers. It's kind of impossible to give just a logline for this movie. It really is because I mean that's the general premise, and then it goes to other directions. But yes, mm-hmm. so we'll just start going in a counterclockwise in a circle around the table with you, Mister Laron Chapman. What did you think of us? Uh, I mean, coming off of my favorite movie from the year when Get Out came out was a couple of years ago now. I think it was 2017. 2017. Mm. I mean, I went into it, obviously, with high expectations and tried to modify them, knowing that this was a different animal. It had been, um, he'd said several times, it's, you know, it's not Get Out. It's not necessarily about race, um, which was very specific to Get Out. So um, I went into it still with pretty high expectations and left pretty satisfied. Boulder, um, you can see he's a little bit more confident in his direction this time around 
and um, just a lot to chew on once you leave. So I think one, th- one thing I take away from the film was that Get Out had one very strong core idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, this film had, I mean, there's definitely a core idea for sure. But I think he's he's touching on, a, he's working on a much grander scope with this film mm-hmm. than, than Get Out. So um, for sure. a lot of uh, really rich uh, ideas. We're going to talk about here more, especially in the spoiler section. But Christopher Schultz, what did you think of Us? I thought it was fantastic. I I had gone into it pretty blind. I hadn't even watched the trailer beforehand. So, um, and and I would suggest that if you can do that, uh, do it. Um, even if you have watched the trailer already, this, it doesn't really actually spoil that much. They did a good job with, um, kind of really keeping that narrative, um, uh, hidden, I guess, um, or just suggested rather. So, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a wild ride for sure. And if you think you've got it figured out, you don't. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it, uh, overall. It was a fantastic film. And I I think one really kind of outdid himself from get out previously, um, even though they're not the same movie per se, you know, or, you know, even that thematically related only by a thin margin, but, but yeah, this one's bigger, it's it, it's grander and um all in all it's just a really solid so something about the craftsmanship feels like it's a step up too not that of mm-hmm. course get out i think we all agree it was phenomenal it was i think it was at least in my, my top five films that year it was it was an incredible film obviously mm-hmm. huge impact so it's not to take away from from the the incredible accomplishment that film was but this us definitely feels like a step up specifically in the realm of horror i don't know something about the, the editing just feels sharper the, the the performances are stronger uh, again not, not to take away from anything from us but there's a, a level of sophistication i really felt was present here that wasn't also to the same degree and get out also there's a huge obviously they they gifted him with a bigger budget this oh yes too. yes <laughs> much which bigger, helps, much which helps. Yeah. so mm-hmm. that's helpful which by the way i think this movie was like 20 million dollars yeah 20 it, million 20 million and he's uh, by the way uh we're recording this on the sunday after the release uh and it's already like blown. So about 90 million almost yeah 100 million yeah worldwide 70 today. 70 million in the yeah. u.s and 20 million uh internationally so he's they've already made uh what what's that quadruple their budget back and this right. is only the first weekend so which is insane which is insane because i think with get out wasn't he the first african-american male to get a hundred million dollar film i think that was kind of the trademark that he made with that at so. least in at least in horror at for least sure. in horror, for yeah. Sure, yeah well i know this one is the highest grossing original horror mm-hmm. of all time mm-hmm. for the first opening weekend the highest uh it is the third highest grossing rated r horror film behind two very established franchises uh last year's halloween and then it part one which it part one not a franchise per se but it's a stephen king adaptation it's a remake i mean it's not a, it's a franchise of sorts it's of sorts. stephen king franchise yeah. yeah right right yeah and peel doesn't have the benefit of leaning on a pre-existing franchise too it's weird there's the sense of like popular horror we think of the horror films that have kind of i think compose a bit of the horror renaissance we've seen as late which would be like the witch probably it follows the babadook films like that but they're not wait wait Daniel, they're not they're, they're, they're not those, those aren't horror, horror movies we're talking wrong? about those are those are psych- psychological thriller dramas <laughs> With supernatural, I would argue they're comedies, but you know, <laughs> with, with blood and gore, meant they're psychological thrillers meant to horrify you. <laughs> but yes, yeah. side with Laurent. Um, I <laughs> she thought they were hilarious, but uh, okay, either way, whatever that genre is, that definitely isn't horror. Um, I feel like the <laughs> there is kind of a sense of what popular horror and what horror that exceeds on a large 
sure. scale would be. And I, I think maybe it and Halloween, um, the recent iterations of that both fall into that, whereas us doesn't yet. It still hits the the proper notes. And again, to Laurent's point, it's clear that peels. He's exercising a bit more discipline, I think, not to say he wasn't disciplined and get out, but there is almost like a Hitchcockian mm-hmm. like yes. approach to the film. There's nothing that and we were, we were talking a little bit before this about, um, you know, in 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 one moment still spoiler free that a character is reading a, a book and we were having trouble discerning what they were reading. But like, there's nothing, I think aside from that, that might be one of the few exceptions. There doesn't seem to be anything that isn't deliberate yeah. within the shot. Maybe in some ways more so than get out. I, I think working against that initial film is, is hard for anyone to follow up. I still think he exceeds in a lot of different ways. I'm still trying to I feel like they might be a bit incomparable in some ways I mean, to like try yeah. and say one's better than the other. Or, yeah. Right. This is this is like I think we're looking at if you look at someone like Quentin Tarantino, you've got Reservoir Dogs being what his debut film. Right. And mm-hmm. then this is kind of like the Pulp Fiction. Like this is actually quite different, but similar at the same time. Right. And it's 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 similar enough because you can you can feel that the auteur's voice and the work. So it's like on that level, you're like, OK, I'm going to compare it. But I do think these are different genres or different styles of storytelling we're seeing right. here. I definitely feel like the sophistications, t- things are a little tighter and, like you said, more intentional. Uh, the, the payoffs, uh, I actually just caught this a, a second time, and it was amazing to me how every single scene there is in the first act is setting up something, whether it's a right. joke or a scare or a theme, like every single scene, even the really inso- seemingly inconsequential ones. No, that's, that's, is very clear. You know, once you get to the film, Oh, that scene was meant to be there specifically. So it could do something later. And so many mm-hmm. filmmakers will have difficulty balancing that. It kind yeah. of falls onto like, you know, a bit condescending fresh off of our glass review i think that might be an appropriate uh comparison not in that these films are comparable in any way um we we were pretty negative about glass but <laughs> m night Shyamalan, he it, he doesn't trust his audience i think peel both trust his audience but he also knows i mean he's very meticulous in his own craft that he doesn't i, I don't think there's a need to establish like well this is going to be a a, a twist and you better be ready for it or better right. be anticipating it so when it catches you off guard I think it's all the more jarring. It's all the more resonating. Even if you do anticipate it, the way it's been, again, crafted so delicately, it just it, it, it still feels rewarding. There's not really any sabotaging this film. I have people in hindsight suggesting that that some of the film's reveals and the turns they felt were a little bit. I feel like anybody could say that after after the fact. seeing if yeah. yeah, it's like really easy. Well, it's one of those. It, this is a case where, and, and again, uh, trying to should be careful about spoilers. This is definitely a film where everything is. Uh, everything that is in the first act or, or throughout the film really is, is very intentional. Mm-hmm. And there are all sorts of cues for what's going to come planted right. throughout that. Uh, that aren't immediately apparent until we later. Exactly. Until you know, have the you know, until you have context. There's there, but there's no context for them, so we don't know what they are. You know, so right. Which in my mind, that is uh, part of what makes Peel a great storyteller. And I think right. early Shyamalan was really good at this, which is is uh, laying the groundwork for great twists and more layered story. You're so good at storytelling that the audience isn't really paying attention to those in the way that they that they would if they had the full context. Right. And so when you, whenever the full context is revealed, all of a sudden you're like, well, yeah, of course it was right there the whole time. 
It was, everything was right in front of you the whole time. Right. Yeah, that journey for discovery that he can do in less than two hours that even really good television shows take mm-hmm. the course of eight or nine hours as a viewer. So many tangents, and they're all just kind of swirling into, I feel like this is leading to a toilet analogy. And I don't want it to. If it is, it's the best toilet ever. But you, you have all these tangents, these these theories and these ideas that are swirling. And I think that's what he captures in this is like the discovery of viewing of like that 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 feeling of discovery I guess that feeling of, of learning in a film that I think sometimes is lost in in a lot of recent uh, at least like really popular stuff the element of surprise he's he's re reinvigorated into the genre that I think has been missing for a while right you know that's exactly. it's very it's really refreshing to see well yeah and I think uh, one thing you talked about Daniel too that I I, uh, I think is really great about Peel is he knows how to balance the comedy the drama and the horror all so well when you never feel like you have uh, whiplash when you're watching it but right. the, within the con- within two minutes you can be funny you can feel something for the characters and you can also be scared all, all, all pretty quickly and I think it's because Peel really understands his audience he knows he knows he, he knows how to anticipate what they're going to be feeling when they watch something so because I, I just feel like he has such a great control over what your expectations in the moment are going to be mm-hmm. even with things like jump scares you know he doesn't really he doesn't really play play with, i mean like the only times he he really utilizes those are for gag like gags they're funny like yeah. they're not even really meant for scare it's just kind of like ah oh, see you're silly for laughing at that <laughs> or being scared of that yeah <laughs> yeah so uh no i think uh again i think overall this is a, a top-notch film i mean this is probably my favorite film of the year so far mm-hmm. at least yeah, it's up absolutely. there i just got back from south by southwest so i have a lot of movies to digest and there's a lot of really great ones but this is definitely up there if not definitively like my favorite film of the year so far um i also want to give uh, a huge shout out to uh, lupita nuong uh terrifically performance um i also think winston duke was super funny uh, I think, uh, and then the child actors, of course, were all also very good, uh, good mm-hmm. fun. But uh, overall, I just, I just the the, the the level of quality it just really feels like it's elevated. The, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with budget because obviously he he proved that he's a very good, a really powerful storyteller. But and you get said out. the caliber of the performances too, in particular, yeah. that's another thing too. Like, I mean, the, there was something very subdued about Get Out the performance, and everybody was playing it very you know very nuanced and here you know we have a lot of levels you know in particular you get the dual performances from each of the the uh, principal actors and both of them giving great great performance pieces on in on both sides of that coin i think so yeah. i think there's just a lot more confidence overall too mm-hmm. you know get out was a bit of a risk especially for right. someone coming from the world of comedy mm-hmm. and uh but it turns out to be a huge success you know people are talking about you know best horror film of the year mm-hmm. you know it ends up winning a best original screenplay uh oscar so he, here he is coming into this newer bigger idea and it's it's a crazier idea if you really think about mm-hmm. it i mean this this is kind of in a lot of ways a risky movie to make um but you know he's he's been allowed to do this and he's got so i think i think that confidence is really shining through through the entire you know the writing of it the the filmmaking every aspect of it uh because you know he's a lot more trusted to, for sure to do something really wild so yeah yeah one thing one thread that continued from get out that i really appreciated it was i think actually a little more refined here and i think this is something that you can really directly attribute not only to to uh, you know jordan peele's framing but also uh lapita nyango's performance as a whole her the the way he 
focuses on a face in any circumstance throughout get out it was very prevalent um but here even more so i feel like every major movement of the film is is in a way written mm-hmm. on lapita's face and it does so well and it it, it reminds me of a uh, um igmar bergman kind of famously once yeah. once mentioned in an interview the most important one of the most important aspects i think for him in filmmaking and telling a story through film is the performer's face like everything you need to say can really be said without saying if if it's written on a person's face mm-hmm. and 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 that's an important device so you always have these lingering shots with max von Sydow Se- and uh you know the seventh seal the virgin spring but then here i feel like a same and again i think part of it is is peel no knowing what he's doing but also uh, lapita knowing very much what she's doing and, and, and her performance and just those, those isolated shots. And I mean, that's used narratively also with, with the lighting and, and you get a little bit of foreshadowing, but, but it always, it just seems like the most striking images throughout this film are her face, her face. And it, it, uh, it goes miles in this film, especially persona, I think would be a good, that was, yeah, a a good correlative to this film. Very much Uh, so. Liv Ullman sort of as the, the Lupita of that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like we all feel like Jordan Peele made the transition from his sort of uh, social thriller, I think is what he called it, to horror. Do we do we agree? Is this, do you want to see him do more horror films? Do you want to see him do more kind of Twilight Zone-y uh, films like Get Out? Like, what, what do you think? For me personally, um, I feel like he what he's done for the horror genre with these two films is really exciting. It's kind of, he's kind of bringing about another transformative, you know, um, era for horror, um, where he's taking, um, you know, the, the genre and he's using it to say something, you know, cause a lot of times there, if you watch a lot of horror films, you know, sometimes from a, purely craftsmanship level you know they're done well but they don't always have something to say not always you know you have the great filmmakers do but um here you know he's taking very very entrenchant you know ideas you know and he's and he's usually using the genre um and the tropes and all of the things that we're familiar with you know and he's putting it into a new context for us um and he's opening it up for a discourse about of larger ideas. And I find that to be the most fascinating thing, particularly like with get out, um, where he wanted to have a conversation about race. And so he made his own version of the Stepford wives or the body snatcher movie. Um, and things that, that seemed really familiar as it was going along, but as you see it in the context of what he's saying, it becomes something more unique and profound. So he, he is probably the best at, or one of the best, at least recently of illustrating an allegory. And I think with, with get out, there's like, I guess with get out microaggressions, very hard to, if somebody's not entirely aware of what they are, it's very hard to, to describe those or explain those to somebody. But I think get out in a lot of ways with the sunken place, it it's a very specific, easy example to, to grab onto. And I think us has that as well. I think the difference between get out and us is us almost feels like this, like, it really felt like kind of watching a piece of like American folklore just unfold right in front of us. And I have a feeling it's, it's going to be kind of embedded in that, that way. So they are, they are working towards, towards two different things, but I feel like this film actually, and not to take away from, from get out at all either, but I feel like this is like, some kind of like classic piece of cinema. Like I feel like this and get out will be too, but like it, 
I don't know. I, I just felt like we were watching something a bit like historic in a way that isn't quite as maybe derivative as even though it, it clearly pulled from a lot of influences. Um, I think maybe he did lean on some of his influences a bit more and get out. Whereas us, he wielded them in a way that mm-hmm. he was able to kind of make his own kind of forge his own path. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a movie of the, of the times like right now right. without, without just sort of like beating you over the head with it. Yeah. You don't like, if you want to just appreciate it for the story aspect of it and you don't want to pay attention to the, the fact, I mean, that's your, that's your problem. That's your prerogative. You can do that. That's fine. But you know, that stuff is there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so, um, but, but I think that that's the best, that that's the best way to sort of approach these things is to, and you know, it's not to say that get out was, was terribly heavy handed either. Um, because it, it wasn't, um, but, but it was, it was very direct in what it, it was about. Mm-hmm. And this one is, it's about, it's about so many things. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's got so many different layers to it. And, and when you really finally get to the end of it and you sort of understand everything that you've watched in a sort of cumulative sense, then you, you really do sort of understand the, that, how a movie like this could get made right now. And I think that when we do look back at it and we look at sort of the films that were in response to, the political climate that we're in at the moment, this is going to be one of those that is very much heralded as, you know, here's, here's, here's a movie that really kind of had its finger on the pulse of what was going on at the time without again, being terribly heavy handed about it. I don't think it's heavy handed in any way. I mean, I think get out was a lot more direct uh, with its message. And uh, I mean, I think that the ideas that Peel was wrestling with here, I mean, uh, without getting too spoilery, but I think it's okay to talk about some themes like, the idea of uh, the greatest fear is being found out that you know you're a fraud or that you know uh, being found out that you the, the, the self you show the world is not who you really are mm-hmm. um, I think that it works on a micro level there but I think it's also touch it uh, really at, t- at least touching on a lot of much larger themes about like what it means to be an American and what what this I as uh, this sort of like loss of identity in American culture they, they, they can be traced back to the, the Reagan era 80s, I think, is all really fascinating. Uh, and we're going to talk more about those in, in spoilers, but I think it's it's fair to say that there are a number of really great things working here, both on a macro, very high, uh, you know, big picture scale, grand scheme, like what is America, but also on an independent level, I think uh, dealing with psychology and dealing with people trying to figure out who am I really and what are we really afraid of as a culture? I think this movie is really exploring those questions in really interesting ways, really effective and entertaining ways. So, uh, well, let's go ahead and move into our recommendation piece here before we get into the spoilers. So, uh, how would we rate and recommend this film for our listeners? Daniel, we'll start with you and go around the table. Pirate it. As soon- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that for any film we recommend, but uh, for this one, I would say see it immediately. Pay full price. Pay the the thirty six thirty eight dollar balcony. <laughs> well, well thirty eight dollar balcony. Well, is that not how much it is? In the, yeah, at the it's, it's like fifteen sixteen bucks. Really? Yeah, but then if you get food, yeah, you, if you, you get like food beer food. and a steak yeah. dinner, which you do in the balcony, like eight then. beers is mandatory. <laughs> yeah, those there. beers are like yeah, for, for it's like nine dollars for a, anyway. Never mind. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so apparently go this spend your us. spend your entire yep. paycheck on us at the balcony and one of your <laughs> local theater 
balcony is. Uh, Christopher Schultz, how, how would you recommend the film? Uh, I, I mean, you know, I don't care uh, how much you pay uh, to see it, but I would say see it in the movie theater um, because it there there are some shots in there that having it on the big screen, especially when you get towards the end of the film, that like I, it's not going to take away from it to see it on like a small screen at home for the first time necessarily. But but seeing these shots on a big screen like that is so effective and, and profound. So yeah, de- definitely experience it in the movie theater. I think uh, the audience interaction is a lot of fun too, right? So long as they don't think everything in the movie is funny, like the screen <laughs> that we were at, but uh, we're laughing at literally everything, literally everything, everything. Uh, look, There's a family in the driveway and they burst out in the laughter. Like, yeah, that's what I was. That's say. funny. Definitely see it with an audience, just not ours. <laughs> so, it's not the one we watched just it with. The ones we watched it with, no, because I think that the audience engagement is a huge, like, it's a big integral part of the experience of it too. Um, just kind of, it's kind of your barometer for how the scares and the laughs are kind of landing. Um, Cause it was interesting to see a lot of the nervous laughter and how like how he's infusing dark humor, satire, whatever with, with, with really genuinely terrifying moments. And sometimes simultaneously, like they're happening in the same moment where we're laughing and we're also in a really tense mood. So it's a really nice balance that is really difficult to find in horror movies because it's normally one thing or the other. So I say see it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, I say absolutely see it in the theater. Uh, I saw it in a Dolby screening, which might seem like overkill, but it wasn't because that soundtrack, when that, that soundtrack and the bass drops, it's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. worth it. And, uh, you know, I, of course, I think this is going to be one that you're going to want to purchase when it, when it eventually makes its way to home video. But yeah, I think for the reasons Chris said that the power of the image, uh, the, I think the close-ups of the face, like Daniel mentioned, there's a lot of that. And I think, of course, it's going to be even more effective on the big screen. There's some really uh, great work with uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, and I think seeing that on the big screen, seeing that work up close really adds to the, the impact. So I think, yeah, seeing it in the theater is going to be a huge benefit to you. But also, you're going to want to buy it and watch it on this big screen. I hope this is... I do think, Daniel, you're onto something. I feel like... I mean, Get Out was certainly popular. It made tons of money. And I think it really... And just hit on uh, an idea that people could relate to, especially in the the with, the with the, in the political climate and era we're in in America. But I think this movie has the potential to catch on to into the zeitgeist and become like an iconic horror a film of some sort, like a John Carpenter's Halloween or something. Maybe not to that degree, but you know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like this could be one like 20 years from now. We're still making jokes about this movie. It's right. a moment. It's a moment in the horror genre for sure. Um, it's hard to think of anything that's like it really. Um, I mean, nothing comes to mind at this right in this moment. So yeah, it's such a combination of different, like there, there's little things that we've seen before, right. but it's all sort of blended into a way that is really oh, I'll, not, like unique. nothing we've seen before, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I know. You know what? And honestly, uh, on that note, before we move into spoilers, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm not going to lie. When I, when I was watching it, we had the screener, uh, the first half of the film, it wasn't that I didn't like it, but I was having a hard time, like getting on the wavelength of the film. I like, obviously I got the comedy, but I was like, all right, where's this movie going? Mm-hmm. Like it took me, it took me a good like hour for me to really like latch. And it's not that I knew where it was going exactly, but it, before I was able to like hop on the, the ride and be like, all right, this is the kind of movie I'm watching yeah. because it doesn't play into the horror tropes. Like you'd expect it to. There's not, I don't really feel like it's like playing within a formula. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was consistently keeping me on my toes in those early yeah. In the early, at least yeah. in the first act, at least uh, of the film, where I was like, "All right, so where's this movie going? What kind of horror movie are we watching?" Right. And then I don't know, something clicked. We'll talk about it in spoilers. Something clicked, and I was like, "All right, I'm with the movie now. It's great." It like conjures convention, but it doesn't rely on any kind of right. convention. And I right. think that's a pretty important 
distinction between this and I don't know, even like I'm thinking of as much as I liked the the most recent Halloween, it still does kind of play into play into, yeah. you know, Halloween being a, you know, somewhat more conventional horror film. It, it, it I don't know, it, it kind of I could see that film maybe relying on that a little bit more, maybe even it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it and Halloween are both very conventional. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're good, but they, they're definitely the way, when you watch those films, you kind of, even though they're doing fresh mm-hmm. things, you still, I, I, whenever you're watching those, I, I don't know, it's easy to kind of get a feel for where you're at and where you're at in the movie. Generally kind of, yeah. where's this movie heading? What are the plot beats going to look like? I didn't, I didn't feel that way with, with us uh, right. at all. Uh, and that's kind of it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to watch a horror movie where you're you have no, no idea. idea what's going to happen next. If you gentlemen don't have anything else left to add, let's go ahead and move on to our spoiler section. Hey, has anybody seen that new Russell Crowe thriller? Because let me tell you, it's, it's, uh, sorry, it's just we're going tomorrow, and I don't want to know a thing about it. She doesn't want to know a thing. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's all good though. How, who won the game? I think that it was... That, I'm going to watch it later. All right, so once again, I want to remind you that we are now going to be talking about spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop and go watch the movie. We all told you to go see the movie in the theater, so stop. Get out. <laughs> yeah. This is for us, not you. <laughs> so stop and go watch the movie and come back. Yeah, this is for us. I mean, really. I mean, you guys can listen, too. Right. And I'm sure... Uh, listeners out there are going to have uh, some observations of their own that they'd like to share. Uh, but let's go ahead and just throw out the big twist, uh, which is uh, that Adeline, Adeline, is that? Is it? Adelaide. 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 Uh, Adelaide uh, was, n- the, the entire film was actually the clone of herself. Uh, at the, kind of in the prologue of the film, we see the younger version of herself go to the carnival, walk down the extremely creepy Hall of Mirrors. Guys, that was terrifying. Halls of mirrors are always scary. Yeah. Ah, It's awful. And uh, we see her. She encounters the clone of herself. And then we don't find out until the end of the film that actually the clone knocked her unconscious, drew, uh, dragged uh, the real Adelaide downstairs and then returned uh, to her parent, uh, the, the, the non clone parents. Right. And then is mute essentially. Yes. And um, they knew something traumatic happened to her in that, in that space. But, never were able to explain it and it seems to have carried over into her adulthood and apparently and this is where it's a little unclear and i think a little ambiguous and i think intentionally so is how much she remembered mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh no because we, we don't get the reveal as the audience until the very end of the film right but uh there's kind of this moment on her face where she's seems like she's realizing it but i don't know man because at the beginning of the film you're watching it she's 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 the the moment her husband brings up santa cruz she's like i don't want to go there mm-hmm. i want to go there and it's because and, and even later she she talks to him and says i'm just afraid this double of myself that i encountered as a kid was real and she's going to come back to get me you know mm-hmm. and he's all like oh no it was a long time ago you don't remember it yada yada mm-hmm. and uh but no I, I mean i think either consciously or subconsciously she did know that she wasn't really right her and that there was she knew there was another her out there mm-hmm. that was could just show up at any moment yeah yeah i i I go back and forth and and i'm still not really sure one thing i think is telling which might reveal that she remembers all of it and um that she's she's literally just trying to preserve her 
stain on the surface essentially um is the way that she interacts with with red who is the the mm-hmm. her double mm-hmm. and the way that like when when you know when red is there, there's a moment where um uh she's telling the kids to run she's telling adelaide's adelaide's kid to run and her 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 children the the doubles of of adelaide's children are going to chase them and the way in which adelaide is just sort of like you know it's a it, it's okay she like trusts them that they're going to be able to take care of themselves um but all the while she's trying to sort of keep the upper hand with that situation um there's something about the way that she interacted with red that that made me think in retrospect that maybe she does know the mm-hmm. entire time um and all of it is about self-preservation yeah not not just of saving her family but of you know maintaining her status okay and this is and this just to keep it clear this you're referring to the switched version of her or red herself which you're talking about Adel- Adel- adelaide adelaide okay uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so red obviously knows this right, is, right 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 this is, this is, so, so it's confusing mm-hmm. so to clarify Red is actually the original Adelaide. Mm-hmm. That was switched at a very young age. At a young age, yes. So yeah, the she's re- one of the. Uh, well, well, Adelaide is one of the tethered. The right, original. right, tethered. Yeah, right. Which, by the way, that's 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 kind of crazy. The whole well, we'll get into that in a second. Yes. <laughs> that's another thing. That's, 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 that's like deep. That's like deep cut sci-fi type tropes, uh, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I loved that it feels like its own little weird. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other movie about where these tethered came from, and there's a world and, building uh, yeah. Yeah. example. We just right. scratched the I, surface I, of it, yeah. right? And I did get a little worried there when they did start to elaborate fully on on what was going on. I knew it was coming anyway, but that's the always I I gravitate far more to horror that just doesn't. It's also a bit alienating sometimes when mm-hmm. you don't have that elaboration, and you you wonder how as a filmmaker can you make that still hit properly and i i think this film found a really 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 nice balance for that it 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 definitely like just gives you enough again there's there's like this implication that like uh i think uh Peel actually joked on it with a, in an interview with Polygon. He was like, oh, maybe we'll have an us-verse or something like yeah. that. I kind of hope he does, like, I just for the sake of knowing where where franchises sometimes go. We're in a different era now, so. Well, technically, this is property of Universal, so. Exactly, yeah, so <laughs> I'm like, but but it's, it's. Them will be next. Them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you. It's just the same movie, I mean. Yeah. You know? <laughs> comes up, I don't know. It, it, But it's enough to just let it work like you you ask like well why does this exist why were there a bunch of clones yeah. under the like I, yeah i i think that he did a good job at not uh over explaining it. i think we got just enough there's a lot of ambiguity enough for him to not have to explain the rules but he explained that this was a thing that had happened well and and, and the explanation that we get is red's interpretation of what she thinks right uh-huh. that's true. Fair. And so so again it's like well but maybe that's not why this thing that that sounds logical and, and red mm. is you know because red came from the surface um it was the original Adelaide was not born in this lab. Yeah. She's she's obviously much smarter, um, so she's able to sort of observe and deduce what's happening with this. And um, but but again, it's that's speculative. That, mm. That's as much as she's been able to figure out. It sounds logical enough, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of the thematics of the film. Mm. But but yeah, but that's all we get. And I think I think the explanation is perfect. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like it's just enough to sort of ground us and make us understand. Um, and 
understand the film further, but it's not so much where we're literally spending, you know, 15 minutes trying to explain this backstory, which is like hard to do with like a doppelganger (laughs) film. Like I can't, this is probably the best doppelganger of the ones I can think of like doppelganger film. And the ones I think of that are really good. Sometimes they're like very distantly, um, you know, like the thing that it's, it explains itself quite a bit to yeah, try and it's just from space. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much all you need to know. And, mm-hmm. and that Invasion film, of the body snatchers, they're from space. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, enemy, nothing. We know you're ne- we're never going to elaborate on it. I think that I don't think the, where they come from is really the point of the story here. Uh, no, I think yeah, thematically, th- I think it's always when you're using a doppelganger, it's almost always the thematics that end up being the more important piece here, which, uh, I mean, yes, it's, fun to speculate on where this might have came from but um i I just think it really plays really well into the theme that the her that uh adelaide's greatest fear is having to confront her real self right and the or and or that she'll be discovered by her family that she's not really who she says she is which i think works on a really great micro level and then they take they blow that same idea up on the macro level with the whole like channeling the whole like uh, holding hands across america which i didn't realize was a real Real ad, maybe, maybe, maybe showing how young I young I am. I had no idea that was a thing that happened. I I was like, uh, you know, I think I'd seen that imagery before, but I never, I didn't know that was literally a thing that they attempted to do in the eighties. How far did they get? How many miles? Well, so it was stupid (laughs) because it wasn't. It was never really intended to be like literally like people forming a human chain across America. It was like it was symbolic. You know, maybe, maybe a few, maybe some people in a small town or something will like all stretch across the town. Um, I don't know how successful it was. I know. I mean, there were, I don't, I, I remember it happening when I was in grade school. Um, I think we went out to the playground and held hands for a while. And, and then that was, you know, at the designated We're holding time. hands right now. We're all just holding yeah. hands right now and being silent. Yeah. 10 minutes. So, well, I like that. That's the, based on young Adelaide who the, the, the real Adelaide who went on to become red, that, that was how she envisioned like a world takeover was, Oh, we're actually, because based on the images she shot, she yeah. saw when she was a small mm-hmm. child, uh, which I think is kind of a funny little touch that, uh, I think a funny way to use nostalgia, uh, to support the themes of the film, which mm-hmm. is uh, a yeah. lot of people who are around at the time looking at that whole, like weird eighties era. Um, well, and the ad that they show, and I don't know if that was an actual ad or if, if that was produced for the movie specifically. Um, but the ad is just pacing painting. It is like, this is going to be, you know, the, the most magical, like all Americans coming together, joining hands, making a statement. And so for her then to have been, you know, literally chained up below the surface for decades. And wasn't the intent of this to, to build world, world hunger? Yeah, it, it's yeah. like raising awareness about world hunger. It okay. was, so this, there's obviously a commentary here on privilege and class, too, because right. obviously they're they're much more marginalized at the bottom right? and they don't have as many resources. Well, and, and the hands across America definitely gets criticized as being just sort of like an empty gesture. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, everyone got together and held hands, but like, what did, what did that solve? What did that like, solve? Yeah. People are yeah. still hungry. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, so yeah, it's always sort of been criticized as like, this is sort of like, you know, white privilege version of raising awareness. Right. Like right. the modern equivalent of the, uh, 
oh god was it like posting on instagram when you're in it like, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah the, 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 like the, the changing your profile picture to uh, ice yeah. the ice yeah. bucket challenge yeah, I yeah or like ice bucket <laughs> challenge. Yeah. Right. how many people donate it or do they just throw buckets of ice on there yeah. just because it was fun but, so it, yeah. so it is interesting that that she takes that and and says okay well we're going we're going to actually do this one um and two we're going to do it in a way that like is actually meaningful. meaningful we're going to yeah. achieve this thing that never actually happened on the surface, but it's going to be an actual statement. And, yeah. and they, and they do that, that the, you know, the, the final shot that I alluded to earlier that you'll want to see on the big screen is, um, you know, the camera pans up to show just like a hillside and there's mm-hmm. like three helicopters in the air, just like observing it. And it's just this, this endless row of the tethered in their holding hand, holding hand on mountains all yeah, the way through the, just, all the way yeah, to the horizon too far as you can see. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. And it, and it's like, you know, wow, this, this, they they did they pulled this thing off this yeah. is this is huge you know mm-hmm. it didn't just happen to this family it didn't just happen in this town that that was the most fascinating thing about this because the way us is is advertised it feels like it's going to be a home invasion movie right. with these four doppelgangers yeah. you know and we very quickly as you you mentioned it took you about an hour to finally where is it going once we got to the neighbor's house yeah exactly and saw that there were doppelgangers of them as well then it's like okay wait now i feel like the the it just brought the, sc- the, scope, the is scope is much bigger is than much we, bigger. we it's we not expected. self-contained with these people there may not even it's a bigger message about a, a you know well, a and, lot of things so and, well and when the home invasion happened so soon i was legitimately like can i wasn't confused i just i that's something i was expecting to happen later in the film even like this building they, to that they, this was the, the like the, like the home invasion was the inciting incident right. not the climax exactly, which yeah. is i i was expecting it to be the climax so when mm-hmm. it was happening earlier i was like whoa this is actually not just a home invasion film like the home invasion is just a small piece of the, the bigger story mm-hmm. so it wasn't the, I, and again i think it's super effective right uh but it was one of those when i was watching i was like oh okay hold on i gotta i gotta get readjusted here and it mm-hmm. consistently did that in the first act where it constantly is kind of playing with conventions a little bit mm-hmm. and and really keeps you on your toes as to like what exactly you're watching and what the goals of the story are uh because it's clear like when, whenever they get out of the house i want to say 30 minutes into the film maybe 45 minutes and they're on their boat you're like where are we where are we going now you know right, <laughs> like yeah. and it's it, is this it, where it ends is it, this where it is like right. yeah it's not like because well, we know how home invasion films work and we right. know we we know that there's like probably like three or four different ways they can actually end when it doesn't and when the first act ends with them getting away you're like okay so uh where okay so now i'm not now we're now we're moving on to a bigger story that yeah. jordan peele's telling and i'm mm-hmm. i can't wait to see where it goes and that's where that i think that's i and it wasn't that i was trying to figure it out it was i was trying to find my footing mm-hmm. but once i kind of realized that i was watching something totally unlike anything i just was able i was like all right i am on the ride let me just watch where it goes right yeah. i just want to see where it goes yeah. and because where we're going i feel like is uh, somewhat uncharted and it's great it, it feels remarkably fresh Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, it kind of takes me to another theme that I touched on about the idea of like America and how this might be uh, wrestling with the identity crisis with with an America. And I, w- I just want to see what your take is because I actually don't have any full. I've been chewing on this. I'm like I don't really know exactly what he's getting at fully. But uh, you know, in her monologue, uh, for the opening, her first monologue, Red says when they when they're asking her questions, she says why, and she says, "Well, we're Americans." 
Mm-hmm. So it's clearly, and then obviously Deliberate the idea statement. of the 1980s Americana they, they show on the TV and the fact that she latched mm-hmm. onto that commercial, I think those are all very intentional choices. So uh, do you guys think that Jordan Peele is, say, is, is trying to say anything in particular about uh, America specifically, or is this just more of like a set dressing to, or, or, or scene setting? I mean, without being fully confident in it, because it is a little vague, is the, the thing I kind of took away from it was that they are the, the tethered are looking for their re, um, iteration of what they see the American dream to be that the people on top seem to be lavishing in. And so it's like, who's to say that they aren't as entitled to it as other people are, um, which could also be a larger commentary on like foreigners coming into our country, you know, and how we say like, no, they're not, they're not, they can't come in here. And it's like, well, why are we privileged to have these things? And they aren't, we all share this space, you know? And so, but everyone has their own idea for why, who, who gets what things, what resources are, you know, where you know, we should have, but then also just like the fear of the other or the fear of the foreigner you know just feels very much like you know the that's what the tethered to me kind of represented at least in my interpretation of it but yeah and the fear of looking into yourself sometimes too and i think Mm -hmm. especially with america when i was watching the film and started to like it it is distant it's it's i mean it's specific and it's it's vague enough it's not specific to the point of where you're there you're going to be able to nail down a precise meaning um maybe more in line with like get out there there was a little bit of a more uh, more specifics at what he was getting at. well way more and in this as we were mentioning earlier it's a bit broader he's kind of his his horizon it's 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 harder to pin down but even then there's this idea that a where america is built on a history of violence on a history of injustice on a history of of the privileged continuing to be the privileged um and and it's we and we don't look at ourselves too often i think i I don't think america as a whole really looks and sees what that violence means i mean for us in oklahoma we don't really like modern textbooks, modern Oklahoma textbooks don't they've only just now started to consider like the implications of the Tulsa race riots, mm, if at yeah. all. And they're yeah. not really right. Like it's super so, recently. Very recently. Yeah. And like the yeah. Tulsa basically race massacre. Like Yeah, it, even it was, even the fact that we fire that they're referred to as riots. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. That right. is right. a problem. Very That's telling. Very right. telling. Yeah. There are pieces of our of the American past that we don't we sweep under the rug, exactly. essentially, literally here. Let's just not talk about that experiment that we did, that yeah. horrible thing we did. They'll, they'll just be there, and it'll, and it'll still be there. And right. we know it's like the, the dark secret will right. be there, exactly. But we're just gonna, we're just, we just won't talk about. It. Like we'll just, we'll yeah. just ignore it and hope that this never comes back and bites us in the ass and forms a giant line of people holding hands across America <laughs> in any way. Like it, it, but it, but I think of that. Like I think it's like this, this idea that to look in yourself. And again, the the doppelganger narrative works so well for that. And what I was getting at a little bit when mentioning maybe it's not so important where they come from or what their origin is or what their meaning. Right, it isn't. But the idea that they're literally these people that have been built under America to rise up and make you literally look at yourself. And that builds into other things too. Like the, when you get to the first family, I, I think you see it initially with like when, when I mean, they are there. I think they're painted very intentionally to be like the definition of privilege. I mean, you've got yeah. the, I mean, Elizabeth Moss is drinking her third glass of wine in the beach, talking well, about her plastic rose surgery. Even oh, when yes, the, rose. even when the, the, and the dualism, the, the dualism that he's constantly evoking one shot that, that sticks out to me a lot is when there's that plastic toy spider. And then you have an actual spider kind of slowly creep out from under, 
under it mm. within its own shadow. That's one moment that means a lot to me, but even maybe kind of humorously is when Gabe pulls the, the crawdaddy or the crawdad, the, the, like the shit, the boat he has. And then it's right next to, um, <laughs> Josh and Kitty's boat. Um, the the what was it it was like the b yacht like the biatch but uh, yeah yeah, like it was like the b and it's clearly just like a a little more souped up nicer boat clearly and you get that moment of that aspect of of keeping up with the joneses too yeah right you know like the wilson family gabe in particular is very keen on keeping up with with josh and and kitty oh Um, yeah and 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 you know he's he's talking about their car um Mm -hmm. and he's like you know i bet he bought that car just to spite me Uh, (laughs) right you know, and, and then later on when it's, you know, they've had to, they've had to dispatch the, um, they've had to dispatch the, the, the doubles of, of this family. And I, I think it's the daughter says, I guess that means we get to take their car now. Right. And Gabe is just sort of like, it's a great yeah, moment. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, I mean, this is horrible, but that's true. And so, you know, it doesn't really stop, you know, even yeah. though they're in this horrifying situation, he, he's still got a lot of envy about what these people have and, and mm. what he does not have. Well, it's really funny whenever, you know, whenever they find out the scope of, of all the horrors, you know, he he's he's really uh, Gabe is really like, we've got everything we need right here. We've got a generator. We got we got the TV. And and, uh, and then uh, Adelaide is like, yeah, that worked out so well for our, our friends who are all literally like laying dead in the yeah. house, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet he's right at the same time to a degree. I mean, I think, you know, Red and the rest of them would eventually caught up. I mean, they eventually do when they're trying to leave. Um, but that's, that's again, that's another thing that makes me wonder about, about Adelaide. Like, does she remember? Does she know? Is she trying to get, is she trying to find Red so that she can kill her so that her secret doesn't get out? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not going to quote any kind of like cognitive you know, research into like cognition, especially childhood cognition. But I do feel like it's not a coincidence that like ages six is kind of the idea where he, he decided to start with his appeal, start with his character. Like mm-hmm. it, it, because you do, I, I at least remember quite a bit, all of the very most like important parts of, of being a six year old, I think. And, and I, I think that's right at the point. I think it's also why I like, uh, link later's boyhood. Doesn't it start at age six? I believe so. Yeah. Six right. or seven. It, it, I think there's an important, piece of that i don't know if it does again play into any kind of like cognitive researcher there's a what's those formative years between like ages of like five and eight yeah i think think maybe your memories start to maybe that's when they start to kind of get going in a little in a bit more of a tangible way it confuses the performance too because like she gives us a very earnest performance you know Mm -hmm. um as adelaide and so um once that initial reveal is then you're questioning every nuance of every moment that right. she was in it was like how well did she play this because then it's like who are we supposed to root for here and it makes that ending so fascinating you know? well and i think too there's that moment where she and the first time i was uh, when she runs out into the, she gets out of the car after they fling uh, the the red's daughter off of the car into the woods and the first time i was watching it, i was like why are you running into the woods to go check it to, yeah. to confirm the kill i'm like you don't do that that's a bad horror movie that's like going against horror movie rules and i until the end of the film i thought that was the dumbest thing why i still i didn't understand why she did that and it's something like that it's not super clear if it's because she 
feels bad for her if she wants to confirm the kill or if she is if she does remember that she is uh you know uh the what the, the clone mm-hmm. there is that connection she has to that child to some degree that she knows that she shares mm-hmm. that kinship with yeah. and that that's where that's a moment where i'm like i feel like she knew because why else would she get out of the car and go into the woods to do that maybe, on a deep like subconscious level maybe perhaps too if not fully conscious but you know there's a you know and especially because she just literally stands there and watches her die she doesn't try to dispatch her any further um and and there there is there's this there's this care that's on her face there's this mm-hmm. this this feeling of like you know i'm i'm sorry that this has had to happen somewhat nurturing you know, you know it, yeah. ha- it, it does feel like a mom moment yeah. does sort she of thing. kind of calm her by saying like that she's like shush. i can't remember that she's shush her or Don't something recall like, something that, okay, mm-hmm. okay she just like stands that. there okay yeah. 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 So, uh, no, I think Daniel, going back to your kind of your analysis there about how the, the film is dem- demonstrating, uh, how America is built off of, uh, you know, privilege. Uh, I, I like that. I, I think that he's definitely really diving into this idea that what lies beneath is eventually going to emerge in one way or another, it could be violently as in this film. Right. And, uh, I mean, yeah, in America that could mean a number of different things, but I think the, the idea of surface dwellers in general is a, is, is a, is a privilege. Um, and, and in the same way that all of the, the lavish wealth, even middle-class Americans have, uh, over people, uh, a lot of people specifically right now, people from outside of the country or people of color, uh, people who have been subjugated through history. I mean, there's a lot of talk about reparations right now. Uh, these are all things that I think they're not, uh, I don't think Peel is ever speaking directly to, but I think the idea of this underclass rising up and making a statement violently to, that's what it takes for them to get the attention they need to say that we are human too. Right. No, right. It's very telling that it, the narrative begins in the eighties, like right in the middle of the eighties. Cause you notice it doesn't, you know, when we flash forward, it doesn't say, you know, 40 years later, 30 years later or, or whatever. It just says present day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the technology is recognizable as what we have, you know, today right now, but you know, years down the line, when we watch this film again, you know, we're not going to see it as being set necessarily in 2019. What stands out is that it starts in the 1980s and then, and then it goes forward to here's where we are now now and um you know the the 80s are 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 significant because of reagan and trickle-down economics and literally what we have in this film are people on the surface and their actions and everything that they do trickling down to these people underground and and the most telling part of that is when um she wins uh, the uh, Adelaide wins the thriller T-shirt or her dad wins the thriller T-shirt for her. And then when we see later those actions being mirrored underground and he's got the T-shirt, but it's not the thriller T-shirt. It's been like painted or something to right. almost look like the thriller T-shirt that she won. But it's it's very clearly this bad sort of reproduction of it um and the face that he makes too like the you know the dad above ground is is kind of like grinning and showing another shirt like hey hey, yeah you know and he's making the same face but it's just this grimace mm-hmm. down below and it looks horrifying well, and also that the the uh something that stood out to me you know looking at it through that lens is is you have all the people eating the carnival food and then below ground they're all eating rabbit like it's like yeah. yes yes the psychological effects are trickling down yes they are tethered but these are they're they're getting like 
subpar, you know, yeah. b- scraps. Yeah. And, and not, not just rabbit, too, by the way. Living live rabbits that they are tearing into and eating yeah. raw. And we're hearing the screaming of these rabbits as this is happening. It's it's so horrifying. Um, but but it's absolutely right. It's, you know, these, these are people who have basically been left to die. And this is the only food source that they have are these rabbits. They don't really know how to cook. They just eat them raw. Yeah, they they're getting they're getting the bottom of the barrel, and that was that was essentially what trickle down economics was. <laughs> um, you know, the, the 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 wealth keep their wealth, and whatever happens to trickle down. Right, that, that, and they're also still tethered, right? They're still still tethered. You're still trying to mirror the actions of the the, the privileged yeah, right. people at top, right? You're still right. trying to maintain that because you can pull yourself life. up by your bootstraps if you work hard enough. <laughs> yeah, if you work hard enough, you can become untethered. I mean, I yeah. guess red is a case of that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you right. too can. <laughs> <laughs> you too can create an entire uprising, yeah. and uh, yeah. But so, it, yeah. It, but it is interesting because our empathy for her character is goes so you know so far, you know with. The Adeline, and then so um, once we realize that she's not who she is, then it's 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 still kind of hard to immediately just adopt Red's cause, you know, because you, you, there's just a there's a confusing like tension there with those two with those two. Well, what I find interesting is I feel like we can empathize with the clones, though. I mean, for the reasons we just talked about, we after you see where they come from, these are these are people that are just i mean i guess you want to could argue are they people right but i mean they are essentially people who are created and they're just an afterthought not seen as people again he dehumanized again again ties into the privileged position of like mm-hmm. oh some it doesn't really matter where they came from scientists at some point probably like in the 70s and 80s started cloning people and uh we're like ah uh, you know what they're just gonna die if we just leave them here they're gonna die on their own anyway so we'll just abandon it yeah and the yeah. reason red gives is like in the the scientist which is this funny i think you they tether scientists to this idea of the soul well then we decided we just couldn't replicate a soul and like questioning what the soul is and what does that even mean for the purpose of this like clearly like it it, it maybe is the it, it's weird that i don't know it, it, it's such a funny idea that they like again in a way that america probably does invest a lot of money into ideas that don't really pan out or might ultimately become vestigial i think of like a lot of the ghost towns around america that were once like mining or something like that we have one in oklahoma pitcher where we were like uh, mining like limestone and things like that and ultimately was very you know radiated and so nobody's allowed in there basically to to live anymore and and i think of this idea that we just like oh well you know we can't like something as as distant as a soul like we we just decided now that we can't recreate that so let's just well, well it's ironic because like, what, Ad- Ad- red is Adela actual adelaide exactly who, who does have a soul for all intents and purposes by very much as so. we define it but that? then she's swapped out for the one that air quotes doesn't have a soul but then we have later in the film she has more definitive uh as we as we would define personhood in our yeah. world, she has more of the traits of a, a, a quotes person right. than the original Adelaide who went to go live with the clones, right? So mm-hmm. then you start getting into that. Yeah, I think that's you get into some really deep, interesting territory there about what is a human soul. Like, how do you define what is that successful look like? Right, and and I think it, it goes to Peel's credit about how he builds his like nemesis, and and Chris was getting at it just a moment ago with like the the. 
you know, Adelaide's father, like down below her, her doppelganger father down below, who's making like the weird peculiar smile. And then you have the shirt that's and like, even, I think this is almost epitomized when you get to the, the, the Wilson, I guess, is it the Wilson's their last time? I can't yeah, remember, but the Wilson's. Yeah. yeah. And you have like Tim Heidecker who I, I, Oh, by the way, by the way, shout out to him. He, he, uh, he's not in it very much, Amazing, but when he is, he gets yeah. some, he steals some scenes. My favorite yeah. is when he, the, whenever the clone him reaches down to help up and then he does the whole, <laughs> well, that's my thing and he's like still he's clearly a goofball that entire film and elizabeth moss even um yeah. where she like you know earlier she's mentioning at one point in the film i had some work done can you tell and like i couldn't in the like in the i don't know what she was getting at and i think that was kind of the 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 nature of it in that film and then later when she recreates it to a very grotesque extent and yeah. carves her own face and but with with uh josh especially your doppelganger josh the whole like he's still a goofball he's yeah. still yeah they still have they still have aspects of those but, personalities yeah. right yeah exactly and that's that's an interesting how those were kind I of i think that's the, that's the, that's the most curious thing or the most interesting thing about this is is you know because red speculates that the clones were made to control the population above as like puppets somehow yeah and it didn't work because we see that they all they do is mimic the people above so mm-hmm. no they they can't make an action that the people above will will then mimic it, it's the other way around mm-hmm. and yet when when the originals die you know um you know we we see the the you know josh and kitty and their family they you know they are slaughtered by the the tethered instantly and they keep going and they have aspects of like they they repeat actions that 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 happened above ground before Mm -hmm. or like personality traits of their doubles but now that they're dead you know, the originals quote unquote are dead. It's like, well, they just kind of keep going. And so it's clear that they, that one does not need the other to survive, but then, so, so again, what are they like? Yeah. What, what do they know about themselves? Mm-hmm. Are they conscious of themselves? Clearly they're conscious enough that they can go out and, and do this. You know, they, like right. red has, has convinced them to, to, to do this. So it, yeah, it's, 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 it is very fascinating to wonder, well, like, just what are these, these creations are, you know, are they just simply clones? Are they people? What are they? What are they doing? But the, the scene you're talking about, where she starts carving into her own face with the scissors, because well, this lady, you know, the lady that I was connected to, that's what she did. She she carved into her face and smiled. Right. And um, and, <laughs> and and so she's literally she's just sitting in front of a mirror, just carving her own face with the scissors, and then like smiling, and then carving her face. Some well, it's more. after she puts makeup on too. Yeah, she does. She puts some makeup on. Oh, um. Yeah. So she's just creepy she, scene. Very very very, yeah. very creepy scene. But you know what's interesting too is that she does she has the perfect opportunity to kill Adelaide and she doesn't. She like can't kill her and then goes back to the 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 vanity mirror and starts carving herself again. And and I'm I'm still not quite sure what that means. Why she Found that she couldn't kill Adelaide. Did she know that was a friend? Did she know that? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Did yeah, she recognize like, her as a tethered? You know, is there some rule that she can only kill her counterpart or doppelganger? You know, what? What? How? How? Do, how do they work? Right. <laughs> you're starting to get in very messy territory, though, because then you start to get to some rule explaining. And I was actually really glad the movie did not. Well, and, and yeah, that's. Yeah. The, I think it is great that ultimately we don't have the answers because we can kind of speculate. Um, but but that is part of what what makes this film so great is that there's so many questions that you have about, well, how, how did the tethered work? What, what, how much do they, are they aware of what they do? Right. You know, one thing that really stands out to me is the music too. Um, oh, yeah. it is particularly the, the lyrical music, like 
the the really excellent use of the Beach Boys "Good Vibrations." Yeah, yeah. that was fantastic. Wow. And then also that I got five on it. How they're playing it multiple you know, times, multiple times. Yeah, once once the family's kind of like playing it in the car, but then it's played again. A very stripped down, more. Um, uh, symphonic version of it, you know, um, at the end when Red is in, mirroring that dance there in the classroom was so fat. It's like really. I, I love that. The editing in that scene was fantastic mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And so one of my friends mentioned, and I'm glad you brought up that scene when they're in the car, Leron, and she's trying to like, uh, Adelaide is trying to like coax Jason into kind of getting into the music. The rhythm, yeah. Okay. Is she. There was something weird about that scene to me, mm-hmm. like she was off and I was just kind of attributing it to maybe it's like how you coax a child to like start to like kind of maybe like get into the rhythm, actually like participate in some kind of like music or musical activity. But like she was like she was off, like she, yeah. it, her her snapping was not consistent with the actual. No. Beat. And I'm like, I don't know when you find out that reveal that it isn't her. It's like. Was that deli- like? Is that mm-hmm. you I know? Think it, I think it was. Yeah, I yeah, think that right. was like she's just enough offbeat that you're going. What is going mm-hmm. on here? Like yeah. because even when they're mirroring the dances between the two of them, you know, like you know, she really wanted to do that, you know, and then you realize what well, she gave it up at some point. You know, she mentions yeah. like, do you ever think you want to dance again? Elizabeth Moss asked her that so on mm-hmm. the beach, and um, it's like she never really fully, you know, consummated that that profession the way that Red seems to it continued passionately doing you know so yeah. that that was interesting i i do think and where a lot of maybe horror or maybe even thriller films of this genre do fail where this film really and i was curious what you all thought about when they the final conference physical confrontation between red and adelaide this idea of red walking very calmly evading Mm-hmm. Adelaide for for the most part and Adelaide just like desperately swinging at her with like uh, was it the scissors or was it a, a knife of some kind she was she had like a fire poker or a oh that's it, it. A fire yeah. poker yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. was ju- I just thought of like every slasher film where like you know the the, the phallic object yeah right well <laughs> that, and that, that the final girl has to use yeah. well that too but 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 <laughs> it was weird because red is evading Adelaide in the same way maybe Jamie Lee Curtis would be evading Michael Myers like she was dodging him. She was evading damage. But you have the Adelaide, who I guess is the original Red, actually being the in a way the slasher mm-hmm. like villain kind of fulfilling that role. And it was a way where he like twisted convention a little bit because it's almost like, well, that seems like a weird reversal to see played out on screen. You see the one who, you know, the the protagonist attacking the the uh, the 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 horror antagonist in a way that that's kind of reminiscent of like every slasher yeah. film we've seen. But then when you find out that she is red. She is in a way the the right. tethered, ultimately or the original tethered. I just feel like that's something another allusion to to that possibility. Like right. and it, it, it he does that so frequently throughout the film. And something that just know. occurred to me, um you know, red, red, when they're, when they're showing the flashback and like she's, that she's dancing and, and red, when red dances below the surface and everyone gathers and watches her, she says that she saw God in that moment. And that's how she, that's when she knew that she should be the leader and that she should, uh, you know, r- take these people and, and bring them up to the surface to rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says to, to Adelaide, you know, and just to think if you had never danced, I would never have danced either. So that, what that clearly shows is that when Adelaide is dancing on the surface above, she's controlling what red is doing. 
mm-hmm. but they're switched. So right, they're tethered either way. So I mean, I guess theoretically it did work, right? Yeah, but only now that they have switched. Now, who's ever on the surface is mm-hmm. the one who has the control, right? And right. I think that's that's the realization that she had. So that so that that further makes me understand why they want to come up to the surface, um, because of, of of vengeance to a degree, because of well, you know, it's it, the Goonies line, it's our time up here, <laughs> um, that, yeah. that is repeated. Um, but but also that like they have control in the surface, so. And it's great that they use a dancer, like the, the act of like a, a, a ballerina for that yeah. before. I thought of like Black Swan and there yeah. was like a deleted piece of dialogue in that film where it's it's just but it was it felt like a little heavy handed where it was like um, the the dance, the, the class master, whoever it is. And in, in Black Swan is telling uh, Natalie Portman's Nina, like you, you know, every other profession, a writer, you know, a filmmaker, even anyone, they, they have things that are a little bit more immortalized. But the like dancer's art is momentary. Mm. But in that moment, it is your moment and mm-hmm. you own it. And I, I, I that that just seems so like the for like a, a catalyst for a revolution or, or or something like that. It just seems to like work so well. I don't think there would have been any other like, you know, if she was a, a you know, soccer player or something like that. Like yeah. that have worked like it was like, like <laughs> yeah. ballerina was uniquely. Yeah. And temporal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense. That's the thing that she would be doing to kind of recover, to help rediscover her identity sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like that was when they were trying to help her redevelop her speech. That's when she went and took dancing lessons. And um, right. I think that um, is a really clever way to tie into the, the connection. The, the Whoever's up top is controlling the bottom. I think that's a very unique thing. Not everyone dances, right? right. Like right. not everyone does it. It's a very small group of people who do do that. So before we close out the show, uh, let's go ahead and make some uh, Ramina recommendations. Uh, so Daniel, what would you like to throw out there for us today? If you have 20 minutes to read something, uh, go online and read Junji Ito's uh, The Hanging Balloons. It's a, a short manga about uh, balloons that have the heads of people that are giant and they have nooses on them. <laughs> and the only thing that they do is they find the person whose head is identical to theirs and they try to hang them kind of in a way, not too distant from us. I feel like there's, there's somewhat of a similarity. I don't think Junji Ito's uh, cultural criticism was probably quite as refined as, as Peel's is, but still another, an easy, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Right. Supplemental thing. I want to read that. <laughs> I've been to, you know, it, it is, it, it, I, I like it a lot, but all right. All right. Anyone else have any other alternate media recommendations? I, I've read so many books, uh, and I know there's one on the tip of my tongue that deals with doppelgangers, uh, but I can't think of it now, so no, I have nothing. Yeah. I right. say watch Persona. Persona. Yeah. There you go. Watch Persona, go. absolutely. Uh, I, th- I say watch uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, Enemy, because it's great, and it's also going to leave you like with your head scratching your head at the end of the movie, right. thinking about it for days. It's great. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining the show today. Uh, Leron Chapman, is there anywhere else uh, people can keep up with you online? Again, you can follow me and my film at Freaky AF Film on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Freaky AF Film. 
All right. Christopher Schultz? Uh, just go to my website, ChristopherSchultz.com, and I'll be having uh, a lot more Us content coming out from Lit Reactor, uh, where I do a lot of writing, as well as uh, Ranker, where I do a lot of writing. And uh, so, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. And of course, check out uh, Christopher's full review on the Cinematropolis.com if you enjoyed kind of the things we talked about on the show today. It's a, it's a good read. You can knock it out like on a lunch break or something really quick. So I highly recommend. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, where can people keep up with you online? First and foremost, uh, the Cinematropolis. And also just Google Bo Camper, spell it the best you can, and you'll you'll probably find me. All right. And of course you can find me tweeting about all sorts of things on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. And you can find the Cinematropolis on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Cinematrop or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. All right, everyone, thanks so much for joining our special review of us. We'll catch you again next time. 